John Keats' Ode on a Grecian Urn. John Keats' Ode on a Grecian Urn is one of his most famous poems. This poem is nearly a twin to Ode to a Nightingale. Again, the speaker is trying to transcend time, but this time the ode depicts the immortality of art. There is a dialectic in this poem in that there is a set of contradictions. Once again, a dialectic is a clash of opposites and their resolution, as we saw when we looked at Blake's notion of contraries. In the philosopher Hegel's famous expression, thesis plus antithesis equals synthesis. Something new is created that reconciles the opposites. Keats's poem is a dialectical synthesis through art. Some of the opposites or contradictions that we see in this poem include sound and silence, time and eternity, movement and stasis, truth and beauty, the sensual and the spiritual. The urn itself is a piece of ancient Greek pottery that has scenes painted on it, if you can imagine that. This urn is somewhat unusual in that most urns only depicted one scene, and this one depicts either two or three. By either two or three, I mean that there is some dispute about whether the urn contains three separate scenes or two in which one is a closer detail of another. The first scene, corresponding to the first stanza of the poem, depicts revelry and sexual pursuit. The second and third stanzas of the poem correspond to a scene that is either separate or a detail of the first. In this scene, we see a picture of a piper courting some maidens. Finally, in stanzas four and five, there is some kind of religious ritual involving a sacrifice. Here is the first stanza. Thou still unravished bride of quietness, thou foster child of silence and slow time, sylvan historian, who canst thus express a flowery tale more sweetly than our rhyme? What leaf-fringed legend haunts about thy shape of deities or mortals or of both in Tempe or the dales of Arcady? What men or gods are these? What maidens, maidens loath? What mad pursuit? What struggle to escape? What pipes and timbrels? What wild ecstasy? End quote. Unravished bride refers to the maidens, that is, virgins, painted on the urn, but also to the urn itself, which is intact and unbroken despite the passage of time. Note the imagery of silence first, and then commotion and noise. Thou still unravished bride of quietness, thou foster child of silence and slow time, is followed by imagery of sound, of commotion and noise wild ecstasy, pipes and timbrels that contrast with the silence. In the second and third stanzas, the speaker transitions from sound and silence toward a more visual and sensual set of images that will involve movement and stasis. Heard melodies are sweet, but those unheard are sweeter. Therefore, ye soft pipes, play on, not to the sensual ear, but more endeared, pipe to the spirit ditties of no tone. 
fair youth, beneath the trees thou canst not leave thy song, nor ever can those trees be bare. Bold lover, never, never canst thou kiss, though winning near the goal, yet do not grieve. She cannot fade, though thou hast not thy bliss. Forever wilt thou love, and she be fair. Ah, happy, happy boughs that cannot shed your leaves nor ever bid the spring adieu, and happy melodist unwearied, forever piping songs forever new. More happy love, more happy, happy love, forever warm and still to be enjoyed, forever panting and forever young, all breathing human passion far above that leaves a heart high sorrowful and cloyed, a burning forehead, and a parching tongue, end quote. So in these stanzas, we see the opposition of heard and unheard. Heard melodies are sweet, but those unheard are sweeter. And as the stanzas proceed, the speaker employs a great deal of sensual imagery, imagery of love, of the youth pursuing the maiden, and a kind of arrested movement or frozen movement. The scene depicts the chase, but it can never be fulfilled. So Keats expresses the idea that art has made this beauty last. In real life, it would have been over. The desire would either have been fulfilled or frustrated. But here, the anticipation is in some ways better than fulfillment because the desire is always expressed. And likewise, around the scene of the two lovers, or two potential lovers, the trees can never fade. It is a moment truly frozen in time. For the last two stanzas, he moves from the sensual to the spiritual as he depicts a religious ritual. Who are these coming to the sacrifice? To what green altar, O mysterious priest, leadst thou that heifer lowing at the skies, and all her silken flanks with garlands dressed? What little town by river or seashore, or mountain built with peaceful citadel, is emptied of this folk, this pious morn? And little town, thy streets forevermore will silent be, and not a soul to tell why thou art desolate can e'er return. O attic shape, fair attitude, with breed of marble men and maidens overwrought, with forest branches and the trodden weed, thou, silent form, dost tease us out of thought as doth eternity. Cold pastoral, when old age shall this generation waste, thou shalt remain in midst of other woe than ours, a friend to man to whom thou sayest, Beauty is truth, truth beauty, that is all ye know on earth, and all ye need to know. Here, the speaker has time and eternity in opposition. When old age shall this generation waste, thou shalt remain. In other words, the scene on the urn will remain. He expresses a dialectic in these last two lines. Beauty is truth, truth beauty, that is all ye know on earth and all ye need to know. These lines are often quoted, but the speaker is expressing a more complex idea than it sounds. He's not saying that they are the same thing. Beauty and truth coexist. They alternate. 
The Keats scholar Helen Vendler has suggested that beauty's truth is an expression through the eyes of sensation, and truth beauty is an expression through the eyes of thought. There is also a reconciliation in the poem of the beautiful that we see in the first three stanzas and the true that we see in the last two. So the structure of the poem is also an expression of these last two lines. It has also been noted that the ratio of three to five, that is, the first three stanzas to the five stanzas of the whole poem, is close to the golden section. So there are many complex thoughts and many dualities in this poem that the poem attempts to reconcile through its depiction of art. <laughs>